Well, today is truly going to be an amazing show. And I know you are going to be spellbound when you start hearing her story. Today, I'm interviewing Erica Armstrong, who is the chick in the cockpit. She started out working the front desk of a busy FBO, fixed-based operator, at the Flying Cloud Airport to pay her way through college and made it to the captain's seat of a commercial airliner. She's experienced everything aviation has to offer, and then some. She also owns Leading Edge Aviation Consulting, is a pilot recruiter, author, and high-profile keynote speaker, in addition to being an expert witness in high-profile aviation cases. She's adopted, she's a mom, a fierce proponent and advocate for women in aviation, and the victim of domestic abuse, violence, which landed her on the wrong side of a jail cell and cost her her commercial pilot's license, as we'll cover. Now, wrongly and unjustly, so that's since been mostly rectified. Her story is exciting, it's shocking, it's horrifying, redeeming, and inspiring all in one sentence. There's so much more, and you're going to hear it. Welcome to the Pilot Wife Podcast, your ongoing checklist for navigating your best life as a pilot wife and aviation family. I'm your co-captain, Jackie Elmer. I've been a pilot wife for over three decades and can't imagine any other lifestyle. On the show, you'll hear stories, experiences, tips, advice, interviews with other pilot wives, pilots, aviation professionals, non-revving and travel experts also on this journey. Yes, it's a mixed bag of goods, but what life isn't? I'm here to bring you the best that the aviation life has to offer. If you have a topic suggestion, a story to share on the show, details are at the end. And if you want the Pilot Wife Survival Guide and Checklist, go to pilotwifechecklist.com. Now, stow your baggage, strap in, and let's unpack the Pilot Wife life. So Erica, wow, thank you and welcome to the show. And let me just start by saying, I'm an unabashed fangirl and awed by your story and the true grit, not just for your career path and setting the pace and some records for women in aviation, but really your sheer determination and bravery to keep going, to keep flying the plane, as you mentioned in the book. Um, it would be easy to hide some of the ugly parts of your story, but that would be an injustice to you and the thousands of women that I know you have impacted and will continue to impact. So again, thank you for being on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, we have lots of things we can talk about today. We do. Your story is so multifaceted that I, it's like I said to you earlier, I just, I didn't know where to start. I didn't know where to end. And there's so many synchronicities I saw between us that came alive for me in reading your story. Um, Colorado, the love of aviation, peering out the window at the runway, looking at tire marks, watching people wondering, where are they going? Are they happy? Are they sad? And really, you know, just being a baggage claim, as you had mentioned in, in part of the book, and, and just being in awe that aviation brought all of us together. So that's kind of a cool thing. So tell us a little of your story of finding aviation. Oh, well, I actually became a pilot by accident. Um, I, people are like, what are you talking about? Um, but I grew up never once thinking about being, becoming a pilot. Um, even I think even now, a, a lot of young women don't even consider that um, as an option. So I actually kind of fell into it. I was in college. 
um, not quite sure what to do. I was working two jobs. I still didn't have quite enough money to pay the rent and all the other stuff. And so I'm just looking for a job that had weird hours. And of course, because aviation is 24-7, 365, um, there was an odd position open at the front desk. Of a, it's called an FBO. It's a fixed base operator. It's just a facility where airplanes come in and get fuel and services. Um, but they were just looking for somebody to run the front desk. Um, it was, you know, the late shift worked until 10 or 11 at night. And so I applied for it simply because it fit into my schedule. Um, so I truly, I walked in the door, not even realizing that there is another language and all the sights and sounds and smells of aviation. So overwhelming, but I just, I, I just kind of fell in love with the whole atmosphere of it and the people and the characters. And there's such strong personalities in aviation. So they make such an impression in your head. So um, yeah, I just started learning about the business on the other side and then just hanging out with the line guys, listening to their, their stories about learning how to fly. And I, you know, I just made this assumption that these guys must be so smart until I started working with them and I realized, okay, wait, <laughs> they're not necessarily rocket scientists, but they're just um, able to um, understand their environment. Um, they have such passion for aviation. And um, so that kind of inspired me, tipped in my mind that maybe I could learn how to do it. So I went over, it took one flight lesson. That's all it took to, took to get the, the addiction started. Well, you had two opposing but strong women early on in your aviation career. One of them is Clara. Let's start a little bit with Clara. Tell us about her, the role she played uh, in your career. Um, so I met Clara when I was working the front desk at the airport and she had walked in the door and she was in a, a club that had a Cessna 172 that they shared ownership. And um, she walked in the door one day and I was trying to study for my private pilot written exam. And um, I didn't hear the airplane come in and she just kind of walked in the front door. I was trying to quickly hide my books. And she walked right up to the front desk. She's like, what are you doing? She didn't even say hello. She's just like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I was studying. Uh, but how can I help you? And she didn't want to know about that. She wanted to know what I was studying. So we made this connection. Um, Right away, she was so excited to hear that I was learning how to fly. Um, she kind of went on to tell me her story. Um, and because she was in her 80s at this point, um, she, you know, truly there was not a lot of women back then. So she was um, she was that little devil on my shoulder who was always telling me to get going and, and keep going. And so she would come in and check on me and make sure I was studying and doing my flight lessons. And uh uh, her and her husband were just adorable and he was hard of hearing. So she was constantly just yelling at everybody. So when she came in the, the, to the FBO, we knew she was there because she was talking, um, but she was just such a strong character, left a, such an impression in me. Um, and unfortunately she um, pa passed away in a midair accident. So it was kind of a moment of crisis when I watched my mentor who's, you know, had been encouraging me um, you know, die in, in the profession that she loved, not, it was her hobby, but doing something that she loved so much. So, um, but, you know, it, it actually kind of spurred me on. I knew she would be disappointed if I had stopped um, doing what I was doing. So um, yeah, she's uh, definitely been in the back of my head throughout my whole career. And she helped you get some of your flight hours, I believe. She did. So um, at the time, the 99s, the Women's uh, International Women's Organization of Pilots, they had collaborated with the Red Cross. And so they had a setup where you would volunteer your out your time, but then they would help you pay for the airplane. So what a wonderful program. Um, it's 
the washout rate in the pilot industry is so huge. And of course, cost is a primary factor. So to have some program like this where you were having somebody else pay for that airplane cost was enormous. So definitely put me over the edge of being able to build up those hours. Um, you know, it took a long time. And I, I think about, you know, two, right in the middle of winter, getting into a snowmobile suit when it's 20 below zero single engine in flying after work. So it's nighttime, all those hours spent in the worst conditions. Um, but I look back on it now and that's, you know, it's those challenging moments um, in aviation that make you better um, along the way. It's kind of like life, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You don't like it at the time, but you look back and you're like, oh, well, okay, that, that was helpful. <laughs> and then you, not long after that, had an opposing force in Sharon. I believe her name is. So tell us a little bit about that experience, um, unfortunately, of, of a woman who wasn't so forward moving of your career. Yeah, right. It, that's the, the irony of it, right? So here's the other extreme. Um, so I've been working at that FBO for many years, had gotten into their charter department, worked in all the departments and was finally flying a little bit in the right seat. Um, but they had a really small charter company, not very active, but across the field, this grass is always greener, right? I could see this large charter company that had tons of airplanes, new uh, corporate jets, and I'd see those airplanes all day long and looking at them on the, you know, from the desk up there. I'm like, okay, I'm wondering if I should go over there. So um, I had had several conversations with her and she finally encouraged me to come on over. She kind of wanted some of my uh, customer list to come with me. She was hoping. So um, we made an agreement that I was going to come over and fly as a pilot, but she also wanted me to work in the office. So I had no problem with that. Um, I, I loved being able to, you know, work in different elements in aviation, especially when it's always up and down. So, um, so I got over there and weeks went by, months went by, and I still wasn't flying. Um, so now I'm helping to interview pilots. I'm doing pilot screening. I've got more time, hours, and experience than these guys that are coming in off the street. And so finally, after I, it was almost six months and I hadn't flown a single trip, um, I just had to have you know, a sit down with her and say, okay, what is going on here? I knew I was going to have to work in the office, but something else is going on. Um, and so she took off her glasses and she set them down. She said, you know, you know what? I'll just tell you. She said, I don't think that our corporate clients would be comfortable at, with having a woman fly them. So, you know, I, I just floored me. I, I just never once would have thought that she thought that, um, especially when she hired me, she, you know, said she wanted um, me to fly. So I, I didn't know what it was going to do to make her change her mind. So Thankfully, it was a long kind of complicated story, but I was working in the charter department. We got so busy at one time, um, combination of just being busy and then having a sickness and a bunch of people you know, out, um, we just ran out of pilots. And so we're looking at the scheduling board. And so finally, the chief pilot um, was a man, stuck his neck out and said, hey, Erica is ready. She's got more time and experience than these guys that you're hiring. Just give her a chance. And so it just took, you know, external factors to get me in that seat. It took one trip. And thankfully, the people that I flew had taken the time to call back and say, hey, we really enjoyed having Erica fly us today. We, we'd like to have her on our next trip. So it was a change of perspective for her. And once that happened, the floodgates opened. She's like, all right, then go ahead and fly. So, uh, you know, I just took that moment to change her perspective. And that's, basically what it takes for anybody in any um, industry to change someone's perspective. 
What do you think her reluctance was? Was it was it that they were uncomfortable thinking that a woman wasn't capable? What 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 do you think was going through her mind? You know, I think for her, um, image was everything, and they had never had a woman fly over there, and um, the C-suite level clients. Um, weren't used to that either. I mean, I, I'll acknowledge that 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 was completely an anomaly. So, um, you know, I, I think I honestly think that she didn't think that I was less capable of anybody else, but it was just the appearance or having anything out of the normal for this high level type of clientele. Um, I think was was tough for her to to think about. Interesting. So let's talk then about being the token female and the realities of being in a male dominated profession, which it was back then. And to a great extent, it still is today. So talk a little bit about that. And, and you actually use that term in the book. So I'm not just coming up with that, the token female. Yeah. Well, I mean, it used it to my advantage a couple of times. Um, I, I got the job at the airlines because they had a DOD contract department of defense that said, Hey, before we do any contracts with you, you have to have a certain amount of minorities on your staff. And so they had zero. Um, so, hey, I'm, what the heck? I, I just wanted a chance. Um, and, you know, that's that was a barrier back when I was learning how to fly and getting into the industry. Um, it's, they just wouldn't even give you a chance. You, they'd see you're, that you're a female and you'd go right into the circular file. So um, being a token female in that regard, that helped me at least have a chance. So, um, but, you know, we still look at the numbers today. I think commercial aviation, we're up to about maybe 6% are women pilots. Um, of those, only a very small percentage are captains. I think it's only less than less than 1% are captains. So um, it's getting there. Um, I was working in business aviation um, for several years. So I'm seeing a, f- a few more women coming into that element so that they're in the pipeline to get into commercial aviation. Um, but we just we just aren't seeing those numbers growing like we thought we would see. Um, it takes a long time to create a pilot. So we have to actually start in elementary school to get people even just thinking about it. Um, if you look at a college course catalog right now, you'll be amazed at all the cool things that people can study. So I think the industry has to do a better job attracting um, the, the next generation because um, what are the headlines we see now, right? Naughty passengers, uh, furloughs and layoffs. And so, you know, we, we see that segment that's not so lovely um, and we disregard the rest of it. Um, so I, I think as an industry, we work, need to work together better of putting that pride back into the industry of aviation. Um, I You know, it has its challenges. And right now, of course, the pandemic is kind of threw everything off again. But right now is such a great time to get into the industry. Um, we're short of pilots in every aspect of it. So, um, but, you know, if you're interested in it now, it takes a couple of years to get up to that hiring phase. So, um, yeah, the industry just needs to buckle down and do a better job of reaching the, the younger kids. What do you think the, I, I almost hate to even use this expression, it's like an expiration date, but what do you feel like is maybe the, almost like the, too old date, if somebody were thinking right now, wow, I'd, I'd like to change careers. I'd like to do something in aviation. They're not in elementary school. They're not even in high school. They're out of college. What age would almost be that cutoff? Oh, thank you for asking that because I get so many emails of the percentages of themes of emails I get. That's actually the number one question right now. Um, and so I always tell everyone my story. I have a, a friend who 
didn't ever start flying, never been in an airplane until he was 39 years old. Just went to take a few flight lessons, kind of interested in it, and just decided that's what he wanted to do. And just a couple of years later, he was already um, flying on a 727. A couple of years after that, he was a captain on a Gulf Stream. So uh, the segment of business aviation, most people don't, when they think they want to be a pilot, everyone thinks they want to be an airline pilot. And of course, that's there, but business aviation opens up those possibilities even broader for, especially for somebody who maybe is older, um, that's still interested in it and wants a full career, you can fly a little bit longer in business aviation. So um, I would say even all the way up until 50 years old, you still have an opportunity to earn a living in some regard. You won't be a captain at the commercial airline level, but you could be a captain in, on, a, on a Gulfstream or a Citation. And how cool is that, right? So, um, you know, adult learners have such advantages. So if, if you make that commitment and you are an adult and you've already gone through all those life experiences, just think how much better you are at learning and focusing and um, it, becoming a safe pilot quicker than somebody, you know, who's 16 years old and hasn't had their, those life lessons because it's not, being a pilot isn't just about being like book smart. It's about being logical, applying common sense, having control of your emotions, um, just any emergency situations, just think how much better you are at an older age and how you can handle those stresses um, than somebody who's younger. So there's a lot of advantages to starting when you're much older. Yeah, there's nothing. You can't trade wisdom for a lot of different things, right? Yeah. Yeah. So kind of back to the um, the token female thing, there's an interesting part in your book where you share that you were slowly cutting your hair shorter and shorter to blend in. And I found that really fascinating. Were you, were you consciously aware that you were doing that? Talk, talk a little bit about that. You know, that's my own self-perception and assumptions. Um, it, yep. So the, the faster the airplane got, the shorter my hair got, right? I just felt like I needed to just downplay the fact that I was a woman. So I, 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 just wanted to hide that. And, um, you know, well, of course I flew air ambulance for many years. So, um, I had, from the time the phone rang, I had to be at the airport in 20 minutes. So at two o'clock in the morning, I had to like literally be able to exit that door in 10 minutes and be on the road. So just waking up and, you know, so having shorter, shorter hair, I always thought, well, okay, well, that'd be easier to take care of. But I, I really, I, I just diminished that, I just didn't believe that you, I could be a woman and fit in with this industry. So I, that was my own per, so, perception. And ironically, it was my chief pilot who, who made a just kind of off the cuff remark about it. Cause you know, I, now I was flying this, the citation and the jets and stuff. And he said, you know, Erica, it is okay for you to have, you know, be a woman and fly these jets. And it was just kind of in passing, but it kind of stuck with me because it was really, I had to get over myself um, and what I thought I had to do to be a pilot and, and I can still be a woman and be a pilot. So uh, yeah, it's a, one of those little subtle lessons, you know, I didn't even realize I was doing it. Um, and then it just took someone else's perspective to say, okay, you know, <laughs> it's okay. Well, it's interesting because of course you're an absolutely stunning, gorgeous blonde and it's unfortunate. I, I get it though. I get like just the kind of blending into the background where you're already making waves, so to speak. And the last thing you want to do is like, I don't know, put your sexuality out there, or, you know, for lack of a different word. Um, and that's just unfortunate because you look the way you look and you shouldn't have to hide that, but I get it totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, a, it's an unusual situation, especially in business aviation. You have to sit 
in a little teeny tiny space for hours and hours and hours. And then, you know, when you go out on these three, four or five day trips, you spend all your time with others, this other person. So you have to learn uh, um, on a different dynamic level of how to um, function with the opposite sex. And so that, yeah, I think you're right. I think a lot of ways I just wanted to downplay that to make them more comfortable. I didn't want, you know, to them think of me that way. Right. And so, but when you have to spend all this time, you, you know, you get to your layover and then you go out to dinner and you try to find things to do if you, you know, got a couple of days where you're staying. So um, I think that was part of it too, is just kind of downplaying that part. And, and that, that's okay to do. I mean, um, definitely. I still, I still think that was kind of a, a necessity of, of being success, successful in the job. So um, no, I think you kind of sum, summed it up nicely there. Yeah. And it is unfortunate. I mean, I know, you know, as a pilot wife myself and talking to a lot of women, you know, I'm in the older generation and we didn't have social media and a lot of the things that are tripping people up these days, but that's an intimate setting. The cockpit is a very intimate setting and you have a lot of time to, to, share personal stories and all of that. Um, so I get it. And, you know, it's unfortunate that there's a, there's a group out there that feel like that's threatening to them. I personally think, you know, if somebody's going to cheat, they're going to cheat no matter what, but that's a whole nother topic that's been covered on this podcast, unfortunately, but it is what it is. So, um, and I did find, uh, you have a very interesting LinkedIn article out there about, um, what goes on in corporate flying, even with indiscretions and, you know, keeping your mouth shut and some of that. So there's some definite stuff that goes on out there, not just within the cockpit. Yeah, it's like a confessional booth, right? Um, when you're a corporate pilot, you, you just, no matter what's going on in the back, you just have to, you know, maintain your composure, be professional. Um, and you do see some very strong personalities in the back. Um, I, I can still remember vividly the day when I was working the front desk, I had a very high level CEO had ordered a peanut butter and jelly sandwich because that's what he liked to eat. Well, the caterer thought it was for a kid, so they had cut off the crust of the bread. No big deal, right? Well, the CEO found out that this happened and he flipped out and he insisted that we get him some new peanut butter and jelly sandwiches before departure. So it was a long story, but to be a corporate pilot, you have to have a little bit more finesse of dealing with people. And I think you have to have a really good sense of humor to just let that stuff kind of roll off and just um, maintain your composure and do what you need to do to get that day's uh, job done. So it, it does take a, a different personality to, to thrive in that environment. Well, and I love that you share in the book that roughly 98% of the men you worked with were awesome and yeah. still are awesome. And I think that bodes well because it's easy to fall into the trap as women. Sometimes we even take on the victim mode sometimes. Um, and it, I think it's, I, I love, I, I feel like you have this bold approach basically saying, yeah, you know what, there's a percentage out there that are jerks, but that's the reality in life in general. But overall, you feel like you've been accepted in the profession. Right, right. In any position, what, which, what comments are you going to remember? It's always the bad ones, right? Those are the ones that stick with you. And so I think we kind of get lost in that, that blur, um, you know, especially in this industry when there is such strong opinions or personalities, but we do have to remind ourselves, look at all the great people out there who could care less if you're a man or woman or whatever, they're just good people. They want to see you succeed. And uh, those are the ones we have to remember the misogynists and the other ones. Yep. They're, 
they're in every industry, no matter what. And uh, those are the ones you just have to, you know, push through and uh, use your support network to get through and um, just keep that perspective um, and remind yourself of all the good that's being surrounded by you too. I love that. Okay. So let's talk about meeting and marrying your husband and the blind spots and um, ignoring checklists and emergency warnings before and after marriage. I love how you brought checklists and different things into the book. So tell us a little bit about that experience. Yeah, I mean, uh, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? You can see um, the mistakes that you make afterwards. You look back and you're like, oh my God, what was I thinking? Um, I, I think professional women these days, um, you know, when you go into this career and you've got yourself all figured out and you're like, okay, I'm at the point now where I can introduce a relationship. I think we, at least for me, I did never, I never looked at this person as somebody who would have to like support me or take care of me or anything like that. I so it wasn't a thought process to, to think all the way down the road. All right, when you have kids, you know, you're gonna have to depend on this person to step in if you have a job who that takes you away. It's just the nature of the industry. There's just there is no work-life balance in aviation. Um, you know, no matter what, you're going to have those days where you have to be gone and holidays and birthdays and, you know, you're just going to have to roll with it. And so you need that partner to completely understand the parameters and what that really looks like. You know, you could talk about it, but then, you know, really play out the scenario in your head. And I just didn't do that. I just, you know, I just figured, you know, I, I didn't, would never have to trust this person to, you know, take care of kids or whatever. I just didn't look all the way down that road. And uh, I think um, some of the women out there maybe fall and fall, get lulled in that same kind of uh, mindset. Um, so yeah, marriage is, is tough, but when you put it into the world of aviation, I think it's even, even tougher. So we won't get into a lot of the gory details, but he ultimately showed his true colors in being an abuser and, you know, there was domestic violence involved to the point of the cops being called and ultimately it cost you your uh, flying certification, your license. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, and thankfully, a lot of that's been redeemed, but I, I want, I'd love to hear you share your story, your part of that. Yeah, um, we'll just try to set the standard in the industry because um, I did pilot hiring, so I know what you're looking for. So any type of black mark on any pilot record, you're out of there. I'm sorry, but no matter what, even if you know it was something that you you were not even guilty of, there's no company that wants to take on anybody that has a blip on their record because if they do have an incident or accident, it'll come back to that no matter what it is. So, um, and so my ex knew this, um, and I think you know in his mind when he um, married a pilot, he kind of thought what it would look like. But the reality of being at home with a kid, a little baby, um, that's it's tough and tougher than um, he was expecting. So, um, I, you know, he completely understood what would have to be required to um, get get me to not fly again. And um, that opportunity arose and um, he definitely knew how to use it. Don't want to give any too many spoilers here, but uh, let's just say it was a very methodical way of doing it. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I was able to then get the problem issue resolved um, with the court system, but it took many, many years. Um, and, uh, you know, finally got that all cleared off. It's not even there anymore. But in the meantime, you know, your, the world moves on, your career and your um, status in the aviation industry slides by. So, uh, yeah, but I definitely wanted to show a, a challenge out there 
that even if you're not a pilot, it can apply for any woman. You, we're all going to have these challenges ahead of us. So it was just an opportunity to show one way of how somebody can get around it or through it um, instead of going down the self-destructive path and letting somebody like that win. Um, so, you know, to use that moment in your life to just keep you going forward and not letting push you down into the ground. Let's backtrack to becoming a mom, because as you already expressed, it's tough in the aviation world. And especially as a pilot, as a flight attendant, as anyone who has to leave the home, leave the child behind. Talk a little bit about that, the stresses. Um, I know you were going through a lot of stress of, of taking maternity leave and then, of course, having to go through recurrent, I mean, getting everything back up to go back online. Talk a little bit about that internal struggle of all this time that you had committed to this profession that you loved, of course, having this daughter who changed your entire world, who you loved. Um, tell us a little bit about the, what, what goes on with that, the stress of being a mom, a pilot, making those decisions. Yeah, I think uh, anyone who has become a mom, you know, they they go into it thinking not much is going to change. You know, how can this possibly change me? Right. <laughs> so I always love it when I meet a, a pregnant mom and they're like, yeah, I'm going to go right back to work and it'll be no problem. And <laughs> I was like, OK, <laughs> I, I hope so. Uh, but it, it, it brought to me um, that our society still does not do a very good job with child care. Um, the, the opportunities or the, the support out there is still pretty few and far between, especially for me, I was um, in a new base. I was not anywhere near friends or family. I was in a new community <clears throat> for the first time. So um, just having the resources out there, um, there, there wasn't a lot of options, especially if you have unusual hours, um, even Later, when I was just working a regular um, dispatching job and I needed some child care, I just remember if you if you were late more than 10 minutes, they charge you $50. And if you're more than 45 minutes late, they call, call children's services. So, you know, ha having those options are very small. So it, it drives it back to those early communications with your future spouse and having a sit down conversation of what that really looks like when you have kids, you know, who, how are you going to balance that responsibility um, and having that conversation beforehand. So, but when, you know, you're young and in love, you don't really think about those things and you're like, Oh, no matter what happens, we'll figure it out. Um, no, it's, you got to have those really tough conversations beforehand. Do you think any of that might possibly be a deterrent to younger women coming into the profession? Now, I know for me, I look at back and I think, oh my gosh, I wasn't in my early 20s. I wasn't even thinking about kids or how that was going to affect. I mean, I guess somewhere in the back of my mind, but not really. So I don't know what your thoughts are around any of that. You know, it's a good question. Um, and, you know, it's actually something I would love to even ask the, the, the women out there. Is, is that a factor for me? I, oh, I didn't even think I was going to have kids. You know what I mean? I, I'm like, oh, who wants that? Um, but uh, you do reach that point. Um, so when you first start flying, you're in your late teens or whatever, that's not even third part of your thought process, right? Um, so it, it's a good question. I would love to know if that's part of it. I know it's a huge reason why women leave the industry. Um, of my friends, um, I would say probably 60% of them have left because of the family obligations, um, and they just have to find some other segment um, to be in. So it, 
especially after those years of time and money and sacrifice of getting there, I, I would hope the industry would find a better uh, way to do this. And, and they're learning. They, they are learning that they need to have a little bit better, um, at least firm commitments on schedules. I know for me, if I accidentally picked up the phone on my day off and they caught me, I had to come into work. Um, so I think those kind of things are slowly changing, although the pandemic now has put the stress back onto the pilot population. Um, so I, I think that family dynamics definitely has something to do with women staying in aviation. Interesting. I'd like to talk a little bit about the term compartmentalizing because it's something that pilots are kind of known to do. And it, I believe from the outside looking in, being married to one and being part of the aviation world, it's something that you kind of have to do based on your job, certainly at specific times. And that's typically known as a more male uh, dominated thing. But obviously as a female, you know, you kind of talk about that a little bit in terms of just flying the plane and, you know, the areas that you have to shut down. Tell us about that from your perspective. Yeah, it's uh, when I've, I've studied pilot personalities and trying to understand how the pilot brain works and definitely compartmentalization is a, is a huge part of it. And it's just basically that separation of your emotions. Um, so that's why you can hear that pilot on the radio. All the engines are on fire. The airplane's going down, but they're like calm and everything is fine and they're going to be fine um, because you have to have that. Um, it's it's basically it's called low neuroticism. It's just that ability to um, remain calm under those stressful situations. Um, and so, you know, it, it's something that can be practiced, but it's more innate. And so I think I, I think women, when, when they're younger, maybe have more challenges of trying to do that. So um, it comes, wraps around into the story of having an ego. Um, you need ego in, in a good way to get in an airplane by yourself at 17 years old and believe that you can get that airplane there safely. Um, so you really, and you really have to believe it. You really, you know, you can't fake it. You got to actually believe that you can do that. So um, I think that's maybe why women don't get into it until maybe a little bit later or, or maybe not even at all. Um, just, you know, but it's something that can be taught and learned. And part of it is just having that situational awareness that we all have that, um, you know, that, that reaction to stress and being able to compartmentalize, all right, so here's your situation, here's your emotions, let's keep those separate and think logically through the situation. Well, it's interesting because I know women are known to multitask much more than men, and that to our downfall, I truly believe. I think multitasking is ultimately the biggest sucker of time than anything. Um, so, you know, it would be, it would be interesting. I, I would love to learn a little bit more compartmentalization in my own life, <laughs> so I would stop multitasking so much. So it's, it's, definitely interesting. Well, and that's one thing that I think women do excel at. Um, so I, I, it's so multitasking implies that you're actually doing something, but I think women have the ability to bring in multiple channels of information at one time. Um, it doesn't mean that you're re responding to all of them, but you're able to draw that all in. And women use different part of their brain um, more than men, and that's part of it. And so if you think about placing that strength into a cockpit, where you have an emergency going on, the, the big, usually the biggest cause of the accident is that you get tunnel vision, you're focused on the one error, but you're not bringing in the rest of that information. Um, so if you have a woman's brain in there who is understanding what's coming in on multiple levels, then you process it, then you react. 
um, yeah, what a great combination to have a, both a male and a female brain in the cockpit, right? Yeah, right. And I know you mentioned already, so, uh, and I was going to bring it up a little later, but what are the characteristics of a pilot? Oh my gosh. Oh, well, you know, it, and there's always an exception to the rule, right? Of course. Oh, yeah. No stereotyping. But. <laughs> yes. But um, just like we said, the low neuroticism type of personality, um, they're good at spatial orientation. You don't even think about it, but being able to parallel park a car, it's understanding your, you know, where you are in space and time and movement. Um, so you can easily picture, visualize parallel parking a car, um, you know, they're good at um, that multi-sensorial input at one time. So you think about um, shooting an instrument approach. You are looking at airspeed, altitude, latitude, you know, your vertical, all this information at one time, and then you have to process it and react and like my dog. And, you know, you've got your hands on the yoke. So you, you actually have a, a physical action to all this mental input. So they're good at doing that. And that's actually part of being able to compartmentalize too and um, detract from the fact that, oh, I'm only 200 feet above the ground and I still can't see it. <laughs> you know, nothing in your brain can think, oh, this is scary. You have to, th you know, be able to look at that situation and say, oh, this is where I need to be at this moment. So, uh, yeah, we could we could spend like eight hours just talking about the <laughs> pilot personalities. Well, we might have to come back on and do that because uh, I think that would interest a lot of people and potentially influence more women to get into aviation. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. The best pilots that I've got in my class, don't tell anybody, but they don't always get A's. They're not good at taking multiple choice tests. And so I think a lot of people um, think, well, I'm only getting B's or C's in, in high school. That is not a limiting factor. Um, there are so many more elements to it. Um, and really just having a good sense of humor, being able to work with people and really wanting to learn if you have those elements, I can make you a good pilot. Um, so, you know, I think we, I love that we have STEM programs, but I think in some regard, people think if they're not in those, that they really couldn't become a pilot. And that's not the case. So um, there's a lot more to being a pilot and that's how we assess pilots has been changing over the years. We have to do a better job of that, but yeah, what do we do? We give them multiple choice tests and that's just not a good uh, screening of, of how someone's going to operate in a high stress environment. Well, I know from the entrepreneurial journey, which is what I do, I heard a quote a long time ago that literally changed my world. And that was A and B students end up working for C students. <laughs> and I was like, all right. <laughs> because, and it has a lot to do with risk is the whole theory behind it. Like A and B students are risk averse because they can't threaten that grade. Whereas a C student is like, all right, got to put a little gamble into this. We're going to take, you know, we're going to take a chance and it mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. I mean, don't, don't use as, as an excuse kids, I'm telling you, but That's true. yeah. That's true. Yeah. I didn't let my kids off the hook. Believe me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's the reality of it. So coming back a little bit to um, the downside of your story, the divorce and all of that, Definitely, there was a point in life when law enforcement, the legal system, and even a therapist let you down. Um, what do you think people need to know in a situation, domestic violence, abuse, whatever, what are the important things to know in terms of law enforcement? Now, again, it, that corrected itself, but talk to us a little bit about that experience, what you learned from it, and any advice you have. 
Yeah, it's, you know, it, I was, I was just stunned at the system. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a conundrum that we have in our society, it will always be there. But how do you let an, an organization or an entity decide, you know, in a split second, you know, who's right, who's wrong, even when further down, uh, I know tons of people who are going through divorce with children, and then they have a, a you know, like a the mediator come in and decide who's the better parent. Um, in just a, you know, a, a short session, you know, so it's, it's, it's something that um, we don't have a good answer for in our society. Um, all I can say is that throughout all of those experiences, there was a, a voice inside my head that was telling me what was right and what was wrong. But my external sources were telling me the opposite. So even just, you know, you, you trust a therapist that they would know better, but that therapist was trying to teach me how to not anger my husband, right? And so instead of saying, okay, there's an issue here with anger management, um, but then putting that burden back on me and teaching me how to behave so I don't anger him, um, you know, and I, and I trust that person because they're a PhD and they've studied this. So I, you know, you believe um, intrinsically that this person knows what they're doing, but trust that little voice in your head that, that when you get out of that session, you're like, boy, that just didn't feel right. Um, you know, you're like, okay, I'll do what they say, but to keep myself safe, but there's something wrong with that situation. Um, and then to back that up, always keep those that support network around you. Um, I, for many years, I didn't have it. I didn't concentrate on having friends. I, you know, my social life was fulfilled when I was going to work and um, it was just all encompassing. And so I just kind of ignored my friend network, especially my the women's network. I just kind of shut off there. And um, it is so important. You don't realize how important it is to have that network of people that you can at least talk to um, about really tough things um, that can you know, help you talk it out and provide su support, um, especially in situations like this. So, um, and, and then if you've made it through that situation, please reach back and help somebody else. Even if it's just one person, um, even just for a couple of weeks, that's, I think that's, that's key to everything. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I want to talk about your book club and, and the strength in female friendships, because that's so important. And I know, and I'm putting another plug in, you've got, you've got to read the book. I mean, seriously, there's so much we're, we're hitting on a few points, but you have got to read the book because it's so fascinating. I mean, I read it in almost a day. I just couldn't put it down. It was so great. And then I went back and read other parts of it. But I, you know, my heart broke during the part where you shared that like you didn't tell anyone what was going on in your life. Like nobody knew, you know, it was put the happy face on, be out there. Nobody knew. But ultimately, your book club, who even you share, you know, you didn't have a lot of super strong relationships with they ended up coming through for you and being almost like you say the hero in the story so tell us about that book club i'm a book club girl um so that really resonated with me yep uh, and I, I i tear up just even thinking about it because it was so unexpected um the strength of a group of women i tell you what that is something fierce and i had never really seen that before because of course my whole life was surrounded by masculinity okay um but I, the true connections of women, because we all often have the similar stories and we don't even realize it, right? Um, but so I had been in this book club and we were, a lot of us were new moms. And so we had been sharing those experiences, but, you know, they weren't my really super close friends, but I was in constant contact with them. So they'd seen me over the years 
and um, you know had seen um, you know how how we interact and our, our values and everything in, in the world. Um, so without giving too much away, these women un, unannounced, unasked, unexpectedly showed up in court all at the same time um, to to help provide. Um, uh, like to stand up for me, basically. Um, and I, yeah, it was, I have such respect and honor for those people that will put themselves out there to stand up for something that's right. Um, and sometimes it doesn't take that much. And um, I think we, none of us take into account how little things that we do can affect somebody so deeply. So it's just a good reminder that it doesn't take much out of you or your life to change someone else's path forever. Um, so just make sure you you keep your situational awareness in the world and whatever you can do to help, um, you'll never know how much that actually helps somebody else. Would you define situational awareness for us? Oh, uh, yeah. You know, that's an aviation term and I always yeah. assume, oh, everybody knows what that is. So a situational awareness is a, it's just a conscious acknowledging of your situation, your surroundings, but not just looking around, it's actually understanding the situation. So sorry, I'm getting over a cold. Um, so it's, especially in the cockpit, it's easy just to sit back after you've got the autopilot on and you know, you're just droning away um, to just lose your situational awareness. And uh, you've all done it. So you've all been on your phone, don't tell anybody. You've been on your phone in the car and you drive and you get to your destination. And you're like, oh my gosh, how did I, I don't remember anything that has just happened for the last few minutes, right? So that's losing your situational awareness. So having it is just the moment you start walking out to your airplane, you have to just start taking in all, everything around you and looking at that airplane and seeing it and listening to it and understanding and speaking to your airplane at all times. So um, that's, yeah, that's, <laughs> that, I don't know if that helps explain it or not, but yeah, it's just a conscious effort to be more aware of your surroundings. It does. And it's so great. I mean, it does. That is part of life lessons, which, of course, shifting to the book, A Chick <laughs> in the Cockpit. Um, I love the book. It gives us life perspectives and lessons from that perspective of aviation checklist planning. And it's so beautifully woven with real life stories, events with crashes, fatalities, your own experiences of flight and lessons it teaches. And I as I mentioned to you, I've always had a weird fascination with crashes and, you know, what goes on in aviation, what happened and just studying them. So um, at what point did you know and begin writing this book? Um, so I, I, it goes back to my book club. They did not have my story. They knew an element of my story, but I felt like I owed it to them to give them the whole story. Um, and I think you know, at the time, I there's books I love like Wild, um, Eat, Pray, Love. I love those stories and that sharing of womanhood. But in those situations, they especially like with Wild for the for example, because I love that book. But we don't have time to self-destruct. Um, most of us out there, we don't have time to go travel the world for a year. So how else do we heal ourselves? How do we get through that situation without? Um, you know, either destroying ourselves first um, or, you know, stepping out of society and doing something extreme. So I wanted to just show a challenge because you all have it. Everybody that hears this has that pivot in their life that you just think, how am I going to get through this? Um, so I just wanted to show one pathway um, and to remind us to use that challenge to spur us farther ahead instead of letting it, letting it 
drag us down because we do have those choices. A lot of times we forget that and we, you know, we think it doesn't become a choice, but it does. So um, uh, yeah, I just wanted to give that example out there and bring women into the cockpit, have some fun, show some of the fun stories. Um, most people are fascinated by airplanes and, and accidents and human behavior. And, you know, why does a 12,000 hour pilot make a mistake? That, that's always my, you know, interest. So, you know, what are the personalities and characteristics that help us get through any emergency? So kind of wanted to bring that element out there to the rest of the world. Well, it's so well done. And again, without giving anything away, um, the closing of the book, you allow your husband to have the last word. How do you feel about that? What, what, uh, I have a book and he doesn't. So <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Very good. Well, I want to shift um, before we close up. I want to shift a little bit to where you are today and kind of your perspective looking back. Um, do you believe things happen for a reason? Do you have thoughts around your lessons and growth behind the experiences that you've gone through? Um, I it's so funny because I think I am where I'm supposed to be, um, not intentionally. And if you'd asked me at that moment, I'd say, hell no. But I, I, I think more or less it's taking any situation and trying to make the better of it. Um, so um, ironically, um, so you'll appreciate this and not too many people know this right now, but um, I had um, was going back to work um, in the cockpit. I had gotten a job at a regional airline here in Denver, and I was waiting for a base to open up here locally because I didn't want to commute again right away. So I um, was waiting for a base opening and um, I got hit by a drunk driver. Um, so this is March of 2019. And um, so I lost my hearing and I damaged my ear uh, so much so that I, there's a whole bunch of variety of issues when I deal with pressurization. Um, so I don't have my medical. Um, so, you know, here I, after all of that, <laughs> I'm finally going back to the cockpit and then I have to deal with the loss of my medical. So um, I just think, okay, life, you know, really, after all that, are you going to challenge me again? Um, of course. So, you know, you go through those really deep, dark days and thinking, okay, you know, how am I going to make the best out of this? But you know, sure enough, uh, here I am a couple years later, I am working for a large um, aircraft manufacturer that begins with a B. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I, I, because of those twists and turns, I've, I've not known where I was going to go, but I'm so glad I ended up where I, where I did. And I, I'm able to, because aviation changed my life so profoundly, I am able to turn back now and look at the next generation and help encourage and bring those people up. So um, the last few years I've been teaching and now I continue on with a pilot teaching role um, on a grander scale um, on an international level. So I've, I've just continuing to try to encourage people into the world of aviation, acknowledge that it has its challenges and just kind of say, hey, I'm here to help you through it. So uh, yeah, I am where I'm supposed to be. You're a fabulous role model and a mentor for those people because you tell it like it is. You're not trying to sugarcoat anything. You're acknowledging the, the, the downside, the challenging parts. And I think that's so important because nobody wants to go in and get blindsided. A lot of women do want to have families and do want to have all that. And I think it's like anything. If you have a checklist and a plan, right, going in, you're going to have a lot higher possibility that you're going to successfully navigate that. And like you say, life is always out of balance. Yep. That's just the reality of being a woman and a mom, I think, really and truly. You're always going to have guilt on this side or guilt on that side. But if you 
know that going in and you have the tools and resources to manage it, you're going to be successful. You're going to end up at your destination safely. There you go. Absolutely. That, that's exactly it. Yeah. yeah. So I don't want to spend a lot of time here and there's not a right or wrong, but um, what are your thoughts about God and a higher power? Because I know you mentioned growing up agnostic um, and you've gone through so much and we kind of talked about, you know, is life lessons and, and, you know, the purpose behind all this. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Um, so, you know, when I say agnostic, people think, oh, you're an atheist. Absolutely not. I believe that there is a power out there. Um, I grew up in surrounded by Catholics. And so, but I remember being a very young age, sitting in the pews um, during a hellfire brimstone lecture. And I just thought to myself, you know what? I don't believe this. Um, so I just felt like we were interpreting it incorrectly, that how can um, a person um, try to interpret, you know, the powers of the world and, you know, to find these rules um, and, you know, that the man was in charge of the women. And I'm like, whoa, I don't, this doesn't sound right. But um, I, part of being in aviation is I've gotten to travel around the world and, and see all different forms of religion and ideology and philosophy. And I, the, the irony is that behind it all, I think we, we all worship the same God. I, I think that it's all, that same awe of where we are and what we do as humans. Um, I think as humans, we try to compartmentalize, all right, <laughs> and bring things down and make reasons for things. Um, I think that um, I'm okay not understanding everything. Um, and so I am comfortable with not understanding how the world works. All I know is I look at pictures of the universe and I just think, okay, this it will never. Why are we even trying to understand it? Um, but I definitely believe that there is um, there is a, a power that guides all of us. Um, I'm not even willing to put a, an explanation on it, and that's fine. Um, but uh, yes, I don't think any one religion is correct. So that's why I go with the agnostic route because I believe they're all correct. I think they're all right, um, as long as the core element is that we are kind to each other in this earth. That's the end of. The, the, the conversation needed for religion, at least my point of view. So, uh, yeah. Beautifully stated. Thank you so much. I, and I have to think, I mean, I just know myself, as I mentioned to you, I mean, I still always get the window seat, even if it's an hour flight and, you know, looking out there, especially over the clouds or at night. I mean, wow. It's oh. just, I tell you what, it's coming out of the clouds in Northern Minnesota and having the Northern lights going up there. I, it takes your breath away. There's just no explanation for it. And it's those moments that you live for and that you get to hold with you for the rest of your life. Yeah. Magical. Mm -hmm. So uh, as a mom, I have to know, how are your daughters? How are their current relationship with their father? Have they read the book? Are they aware <laughs> of the extent of things? They're, they're doing awesome. Knock on wood. Um, I have one who's got a uh, first year in college and absolutely loving it. She kind of had a meltdown right before school started thinking, I can't do this. This isn't what I want. And, and so I'm like, oh boy. I said, all right, you just get in one semester and then we'll talk. And now she just loves it. So um, I'm so excited for her and launching out in the world. Um, I have one in high school still. Um, I've waited to see if either are interested in aviation and not so much, but we'll see what happens. And I never pushed it. That's some, it's either you love it or you don't, you will never convince somebody, you know, otherwise. Um, so they, they've, I think that their relationship with their dad has been a good lesson for them to, to understand, um, you know, 
what is good and what is bad in a relationship. Um, so, you know, I would love to ask them in a few years, you know, what their viewpoint of it was. So, you know, I, I always wanted them to be, you know, involved with their dad, even though it was him and I that had our disagreements. Um, I still felt, you know, that was their dad. So they needed to find a way to have a relationship with them. So um, my older daughter, it's been a little bit more strained for her because I think she was just older. So she was more cognizant of what was going on. Um, so she did read the book. Um, I had a conversation with her as she was reading it saying, look, you need to understand that this is something that, you know, mom and dad um, experienced. This is you know, what you and your dad have are completely different. So don't let that influence how your relationship is with them. So, or with him. So, uh, you know, it, it's a tough lesson for any kid that's gone through their parents going through a divorce, which is, I mean, half of us, right, are going to have to experience that. So, um, you know, you can take it either, you know, you can use it as an excuse to to be bad or, you know, do bad things, or you could just say, hey, this is, their life, their experience, I don't have to, I can learn by their beard, by their idiocy, right? They can look at us and say, oh my gosh, there's, you know, that's so stupid. I'll learn from that. So um, you can take what out of it what you want. And I hope they took um, some good lessons as they move into their relationships and their future. So, uh, but yeah, you got, as a parent, you always hold your breath and just hope, you know, that, uh, yeah, that they, that they get it. So I have too, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I love the life lessons that you offer, um, having a flight plan, giving yourself permission to fail and thoughts, managing our own thoughts. And I know one of the things that you mentioned are thought filters. Tell us what thought filters are. Absolutely. And they get clogged all the time. And I need to remind myself once in a while, I'm like, yeah, you need to clear those clogs out. Um, and it, it really begins, um, even in teenage years, that self-perception and how we view the world. We kind of, you know, we, we set, we define something, we put the blinders on and we forget to just keep our situational awareness and how that changes. So um, thought filters, I think even like my, my first female boss, the one that just didn't believe that women should be flying airplanes, her filter was clogged with her own ID, ideas that, um, you know, women shouldn't be flying her clients. So um, it gets cleared out when you allow other opinions to come in. Um, so I, I always try to challenge myself to try to understand the other side of whatever it is that uh, I disagree with. Um, sometimes the filter just gets fuller and fuller and it doesn't clear out. But sometimes then all of a sudden, if I understand something it, that it flows and um, you'll be surprised at how different you can see a situation um, by allowing that other stuff to come in. But yeah, we can use thought filters on everything, our jobs, our relationships. Um, you know, it just it's our own way of allowing good or bad into our lives. Um, and sometimes we're not good at changing those filters. Uh, so, yeah, it's just. Trying just even recognizing when they need to be changed is the hardest part. Good stuff. Well, I'd love to close with this because it definitely has personal meaning to me. And I, I know I love nothing more than looking at the sky, the blue sky and seeing those contrails and knowing the magic of aviation and people moving around the earth. And I know right after 9-11, the lack of contrails was so, you know, crazy when flights were grounded and all of that. And so you wrote to right toward the end of the book, contrails, they're evidence you were there and they're simply what you leave behind. What does that mean to you personally? Yeah, it's a, uh, it, 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 
I'm watching my dad, who's 91 years old, kind of look back on his life and all of a sudden realizing, you know, his regrets and what it is that you leave behind. You know, what what are you going to leave behind you? We don't think about it as we're moving along and we're flying along and we don't realize, but we're, we are leaving evidence of, of our being here. So, um, you know, to acknowledge that at some point in your life and that that won't happen until you're older and all of a sudden, you, you know, that's your midlife crisis, right? And what am, what am I leaving behind? What is that um, legacy behind me? So you start paying a little bit more attention to the contrails you're leaving. Um, for me, I know that changed my focus to try to um, spend my time actively encouraging people to start, you know, looking at aviation. Um, if I can just change one person's life for the better and bring them into this wonderful world of aviation, then, you know, that, that contrail will always stay there. So, um, yeah. And, uh, you know, then all of a sudden just bizarre things, being able to use social media all of a sudden and using the power of it and getting that reach out and taking something that I just really didn't like in the beginning, social media. Um, and then all of a sudden realizing, okay, let's use it for the good and building that base up and being able to get that reach farther and farther. And, um, so my magic days, I will get emails once in a while from a, a former student and they've got their selfie. They're going to step on their first corporate jet that they're going to fly or their first regional jet. And just to see that, you know, they're so excited to be there. And I remember that 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 newness and that passion for uh, your job and your career and and flying. And so that's yeah, that I that's selfish because that makes me feel good. <laughs> so, um, but I love those are the moments that I love and the contrails I'm looking for. Well, you're definitely making your mark out there. That's how I found you. I found you through a contrail that was out there on a podcast and went, I have to know who this woman is and, you know, tracked you down. So tell it. And, and speaking of social media, I believe you have over 400,000 followers on LinkedIn. Um, you're definitely out there in a force. So tell us the best way to find you, learn more about you, get the book. And I'll have all of this in the show notes, but tell us the best ways. Yep. You can any, um, you can just Google a chick in the cockpit and you'll find me. Um, yeah. And especially for those of you that maybe are just starting out and that you have a question about aviation, you can just email me anytime. Um, so it's Erica, E-R-I-K-A at a chick in the cockpit.com. Um, you can email me. The book is on Amazon, Kindle, audio, you name it, it's out there. So uh, yeah, just Google me and, and you can track me down. Very good. Well, Erica, seriously, thank you for taking the time to be here. Thank you for being you and being brave and really, truly, uh, you know, not only making impact for women in aviation, but your own impact, raising daughters who are strong, who can watch a mom go through all that she went through and not quit, keep going and, and raise them, you know, to be strong, independent women too. So you're a force, not only for women in aviation and your own daughters, but all the rest of us out there. So Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you much, so much for having these shows so we can talk about this um, on these great platforms. And uh, this is how we get the message out. So I appreciate it. And sorry about my dogs barking. So <laughs> hey, it's just real life, right? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, there's really not a lot more to be said. Um, although there is, we could go on and on and on. You've got to get the book, read the book. It's fascinating from an aviation perspective. It's fascinating from a um, woman's perspective, domestic violence, abuse, and truly um, being, being a winner, being a survivor, and just never quitting. I hope you enjoyed it. I would love any feedback that you have. You can always email me, Jackie at pilotwifepodcast.com. 
find Erica, follow her, get her book, and be part of that group that helps empower women in general, women in aviation, and raising those strong families. I'll see you on the next show. If you like what you're hearing on the show, grab the Pilot Wife Checklist at pilotwifechecklist.com. And if you have a topic suggestion or a story to share on the show, go to ask.pilotwifepodcast.com. Share the show with any pilot wives, military wives, or anyone in aviation you know who might share and benefit from this similar experience. I'll see you on the journey.